You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. I love that. Just that ending just drops so quick, doesn't it? So here we are, man. Hey, thanks for being at Antioch today. Isn't it a privilege to assemble together? Isn't it, right? I mean, you're here, right? So it's good. And for those watching online, it means a lot that you're here. I just want to say before we jump into John 16, uh, thank you, church, for being uh, so gracious, so, so thoughtful and encouragement, encouraging. We've been able to be on a sabbatical during the, the month of March for, for a month. And so we are thankful for that. Uh, not many people get those kinds of things. And so we're thankful for our leadership in our church and our church to make that a, a priority every five years. Uh, we get to have that uh, experience. And we thank you for that. So uh, we didn't go anywhere crazy. We thought about going to Hawaii. That didn't work out. Uh, I'm not a big flyer anyway, uh, but we just stayed around the house, did some work around the house for a while. You know, those kind of things you got to just kind of get done, painting and all those kind of things and cleaning. So we did that. And then we went to Branson. Everybody goes to Branson, don't they, right? We went to Branson for, for four days. It, it snowed in Branson while we were there. So we had like, you know, that was fun, about two inches of snow there. And it was good just to connect with our family. And we really enjoyed going to church with our family. That it means a lot. You'll get there someday, and some of you are there when your kids grow up and go somewhere else. It just means so much to go and just uh, sit with them and worship with them, and then just hear the word and see them growing. Uh, that's just a really a great gift. And the older people that are here, not that you have to be older for that, but you know, we get to experience that, and someday you'll get to experience that as well. Uh, we got a phone call from... Uh, Judy's cousin that her aunt unexpectedly passed away, Aunt Marie, she was 88 years old, went to bed on uh, Sunday evening and didn't wake up Monday morning, and just a great Christ follower, and uh, so we were able to go out there and be a part of that service. I met her and her family when I was probably a freshman in college, and uh, went to school with her, her son, and I was honored to be able to to officiate her service. Who'd ever thought as a freshman I would be giving a sermon over Aunt Marie, but God used that in a great way, so we had a chance to be there in, in Idaho. I saw my old basketball coach, haven't seen him like for 46, 47 years. He's like 89 years old now. I'm not sure if you remembered me or not, but we kind of had some conversations, it was good. So those were just kind of great and, uh, and good memories and just spent a lot of time around the house good time reading uh, together. We like to walk, so we did a lot of walking together. It's been really, really nice. Just want to say thank you for that. And we, we are refreshed. I, I don't know how you guys are after you're on a vacation or away like that. Do you, some of you guys, just, my wife comes back, she's just ready to go. I, I come back, I'm already thinking like, you know, two weeks ago we were doing that or we did that last week. I'm kind of one of those guys that's kind of slow getting in, so kind of be patient with me today. I'm, I'm kind of still thinking about Branson. I'm still thinking about whatever, you know, so those kind of things. Also, I thought about today as I was preparing this week, I began looking on my calendar, and a year ago today, we as a church, uh, as, a, as leadership, you know, in, brought to you the transition, pastoral transition here at Antioch. That was a year ago we talked about that, and it doesn't seem possible that time goes by that quick. And I just want to encourage you today, church, 
Steve is doing an exceptional job here at Antioch. Uh, he, he is, and he, he's a great husband, loves his wife, loves his kids. Uh, he serves well here at Antioch, serves our team well, serves our church. And I'm just so thankful to be a part of, of Antioch. Thank you for that privilege of still being in the game, still being on the team. And it just, it just means a lot, just good, good stuff. And so these are good seasons for us, church. I mean, last week, uh, you know, Mark is now going to Indian Hills in, in Colorado. That's exciting what God's doing in our church in these next seasons. And we get to be a part of that. Amen, church? To get, be a part of what God's doing here. And that's a great, great gift. If you have your Bible this morning, I hope you do. John chapter 16. We've been spending time together in this uh, farewell discourse. Sometimes some call it the, the garden discourse from John chapter 13 up to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is that great section of prayer where Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays also for us. And we're going to focus our time today in John chapter 16, uh, verses 22 down through verse 30, 43. Uh, the narrative of John 16 and really the entire discourse takes place really about a 24-hour period. And now in John chapter 16, there's, there's just only hours that are left. And so, so Jesus is spending these time to encourage his disciples, to, to remind them of what's about to happen. They had no really idea. They were expecting some ultimate leader to lead them. And they're going to be, it's, in just in a couple of hours, Jesus is going to be crucified and their, their lives will be totally changed. And so he's preparing his disciples for these upcoming troubles, all God's people got trouble, amen? In this room today, everybody's got trouble. We've got trouble. So he says, hey, trials are coming. Persecution is going to be coming. And so he's preparing his disciples about what they will eventually experience. All 11 disciples, Judas checked out early, he's gone. The 11 disciples were all martyred. Some of them were boiled in hot oil. Uh, most of them were crucified. Uh, some were speared to death. All, think about that church, every disciple was a martyr. We live today in a, in a season in our world where there is still martyrdom Amen. in our world. In fact, uh, Lifeway Ministries and Research says persecution in 2021 was up around the world 24%. Every day around the world, 6,000 Christ followers are killed for the cause of Jesus. Every day, 6,000 people. 6,000. 6,000 every day for the cause of Jesus Christ. We live, as the Bible says, we live in dangerous times. Amen. I would say we live in, in crazy times. Our culture is just blowing up, isn't it, church? Yeah. And we say it often. We don't define our culture. We live in this culture. So we, we approach our culture with compassion, with, with conviction, with concern. We're not going to change the trajectory of our culture. We, we live in this. I'm telling you, church family, think about the first century, the first century church, the, the, the persecution they experienced. I'm not sure what's going to happen in our country, but around the world, we are seeing things that are simply unbelievable to think about maybe 25 or 30 years ago. We think about our own country and social upheaval. We, we think globally, we think politically. 
We think culturally all that has happened in our world. And John chapter 16 is a good word for us today, church. John chapter 16 is a good word for us. Let's pray together and then we'll jump into John, John's gospel. Father, we, it means a lot to call you our father. It, it just reminds us that we have relationship with you by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. We, we thank you for your living word. We thank you for these red letter words in, in John 16, these words that have been saved and, and shaped for us, the very words of Jesus in this living document. And so today, may we take to heart what we hear, not just be hearers only, but God, that we be doers of the word. Use these moments, God, to transform us and change us, to encourage us. We all have pressure points. We all have challenges. We've all got trouble. God, today we look to you for our strength and knowing that you have a purpose and a plan for our life. Nothing happens in our life by accident. And so today, use these moments to encourage us and to challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. And together, church, we said, Amen. Amen. In John 16, Jesus is saying, life is hard. He says here in this text, when life is hard, sorrow is unavoidable. When life is hard, sorrow is unavoidable. John chapter 16 and verse 20. Jesus says this, truly, truly. The old translate, verily, verily. Those words represent and emphasize a, a pivotal statement. So it's like heads up. Jesus, he's saying heads up. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. The word lament communicates an audible wail, just wailing audibly. But the world will rejoice. You'll be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Sorrow speaks of deep grief, physical or emotional pain, this, this, this weight of sorrow. We think about the sorrow of disappointment and the sorrow of circumstances, uh, the sorrow of, of tragedy. We live in a fallen world, and in a fallen world, sorrow is unavoidable. Trouble is unavoidable. All God's children got trouble. And right now, if you don't have trouble, just want to encourage you today, it's coming, all right? It's coming. It's just right around the corner. God uses trouble. We're going to get there later on. God uses adversity to produce in our life staying power and endurance to just by God's grace, amen, church, stay in the game. We just, we just stay faithful in the game and we'll get there later. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for this overwhelming sorrow that's going to experience. They don't really truly get it yet. I mean, in Mark's gospel, three times back to back to back, Jesus began to say, hey, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be sacrificed, I'm gonna sacrifice, I'm gonna die. And they just never got it. They were always looking for ways to say, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to lead? All those kinds of things that was all about them. And they just really didn't get it. They were looking for Jesus to come and just set up this new kingdom, all right? R rule over Rome. And it's going to be a whole new, they just never really got it. He's reminding them, I'm telling you, trouble's coming. Sorrow's coming. It's unavoidable. And so he's preparing them. 
In just only a few hours, church family, Jesus will be falsely arrested. He will be interrogated by religious leaders and political leaders. He will be scoffed and mocked at and made fun of. They'll take off his clothing and, and take a whip on his back, and then he'll hang on a cross for six agonizing hours, and his disciples just never really got that yet. But he says, sorrow is coming, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. And so joy doesn't mean that everything's going to be great, everything's going to be fun. Joy has this picture. Joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. Hear that again. Joy is, cho joy is a choice. Is it choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God is going to use the circumstance that you're in to do something in your life. Right? He's going to produce something in your life through those challenges. He has a purpose and a plan. And what Jesus does in chapter 16, verse 21, now he gives them an illustration to wrap their mind around. He gives the illustration of contrast of sorrow and joy with childbirth. John chapter 16 and verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she had delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Verse 22. So also, in contrast, so also you have sorrow now. But, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. He's talking here about, you're going to see me again. He's talking about the resurrection. You're going to, you're going to see me again. Amen. He's speaking, you're going to see me again. And so he uses this illustration of childbirth. When it comes to childbirth, I admit I have no earthly idea. I'm getting over my head here exactly what you go through, moms, with childbearing and to give birth. I have been in a room when it happens, three times, all right? So it, it doesn't make me an expert, but I've been there and it's, it's just amazing what happens in that room, right? We, we've been there. Back in the late 70s, they had this, uh, still, they still do it, I believe, called Lamaze. Anybody know, I'm talking about Lamaze, it's a breathing technique. So actually, all my guys about my age, okay, doing that. So we, we were in college. Believe it or not, I'm a junior in college, and my wife says I'm pregnant. What, and just, wow, this just, no, no insurance, just, just go on and you do it. So we went to this Lamaze, like this house, it was a house, it was a neighborhood. And you, when you went, you had to bring a pillow with you. And so it just was, here I am walking in, all these people were bringing pillows and guys. And, and they taught us how to breathe, because when you give... Like I said, I'm way out my, I'm just, I'm way out, way out of my zone here, but I'm just saying you got to practice breathing, different types of breathing, right? How that goes sometimes. And then I don't want to hyperventilate here, but I, that's what we do. So we, we, get, in, we get in there, and, and at those times, Lamas was just kind of a little bit different, so nurses weren't really engaged with us. They really thought we were from a different planet or something, and so we're there, and Judy, it's, it's happening. And so I'm, I'm starting to try, and we're breathing together. Okay, work with me here. When we were breathing together, and, and so I was breathing, and probably 10 minutes later, I'm hyperventilating, and Judy's on her own. The nurse is with me now. I'm blowing into a paper bag. 
right? That's, that's, that's how much I know about childbearing, all right? So it just was crazy. We, we finally got through it, had, had our first son, and uh, we, we, we did it. I, I, again, we have two daughters. I was there. I think we quit breathing then. I, I think we just kind of gave you some drugs, and it worked out fairly better if that way. Uh, for that, but I'm just saying, so, so you just, we just get that, and ladies, you're amazing, moms, you're amazing, I'm, I'm serious, but I can't imagine, uh, guys, we just never could do that, all right, never, just, not, it ain't going to happen, but so, so he, they, they get this, yeah, sorrow, and then, then there's joy, because there's, there's new life, there's new life, so the, the point here, what's the point, Bible scholar Ken Boya, uh, Boya puts it this way, Boa puts it this way, God will bring joy into your life, not by substitution, but by transformation. God, God uses sorrow to, to transform us, to transform us. He said the same baby that caused pain also caused great joy. The mother's pain is not replaced by joy. It is transformed into joy. And so when we experience hardship and sorrow and difficult experiences, God uses that. It's not a replacement. He's using it to transform and change us with joy, right? We, 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 that we embrace this circumstance. As hard as it is, as difficult as this experience is, joy enables us to embrace it and realize that God has a bigger picture in what is happening in your life and in my life. Amen. That, that's a good word, church. And so Jesus is encouraging his disciples. Right? There's going to be sorrow, but there's going to be joy. I'm going to die on the cross. There's going to be joy, man. When I, that, on that third day, there's going to be great joy. Sorrow turned to joy. You can't take it away. So sorrow is unavoidable, and prayer is indispensable. In John chapter 16, 23 through 28. Let's go look at this passage together and we'll make some observations. We'll see this phrase in this section too, in, in that day. When you see that in that day, it is talking about the resurrection. The day after the resurrection. So in that day, after the day of resurrection, you will ask nothing of me. Right now, the disciples have access, we learn in John 15, we have access to the Father through the Holy Spirit, right? He, he, he intercedes for us. In fact, Romans says he utters groaning. We can't even imagine what he's even saying, but I don't even sometimes know how to pray. Maybe you've been on exactly what to say and how to pray through this situation. Church family, we've got the Holy Spirit in our life who, who helps us pray. It's just amazing what he does in our life to work with us. Amen. And so he's saying, you have access to the Holy Spirit. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Verse 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. That idea of joy being full. He says, up to now, he says, you, you haven't been praying in the name of Jesus. After the resurrection, you, you will. Verse 25. I have said these things. You'll see that here. We'll see it in verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you. That phrase, these things, is not just talking about the narrative at that moment. He's talking about the entire discourse. And some Bible scholars believe he's just saying, he's going back to the very beginning. Everything that he taught his disciples, these things. I have said these things to you. 
over and over again, he has encouraged them over the time of three, of three years. So I've said these things in a figures of speech. All right. he, he used this idea of birth as, as an illustration. He's using these illustrations. The hour is coming. Again, this is the time after Jesus' resurrection. He'll explain more of that to his disciples then, but I will, he said, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Verse 26, in that day, again, he's talking about the resurrection. In that day, you'll have direct access to the Father. You will ask him my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask you on the Father's behalf, Jesus saying, I will no longer need to pray on your behalf. Just a transition in prayer. I no longer have to pray on your behalf. You'll be able to ask for yourself. And we pray in Jesus' name. We pray under the authority of Jesus, but we have direct access, church family. Direct access, think about it, to God the Father who spoke this world into existence. It just blows my mind. And so often we're not careful. We don't mean to do this, but we just minimize prayer. That prayer is like maybe a last resort. I'm going to do all I can at first and make it kind of happen and work at it. And then if it doesn't work, I'll pray. But think about it, church, that we can have conversation with God at any moment. Yeah. I'm challenged by that. I'm convicted by that. I can be wired to kind of figure it out myself and work through it and read a book or read this. And then, and then if I'm, when I'm all done, it's like, okay, God, I've done, I, I can't. But at the very beginning, you say, God, I'm in a situation. I need your leadership. I need your wisdom. Going to the book of Proverbs, you just see wisdom over and over again. The faithfulness of the Father. Verse 27, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and believed that I came from God. So in this discourse, finally, because we see in John chapter 14, they, they, they didn't even quite believe yet. But now they're in this transition of believing, all right? We believe that you came from God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's that John 1, 1 and John 1, 14 that now, now they know, now they know. Verse 28, I came from the Father. He's speaking of his incarnation, I've come into the world, and now I am leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. So there's lots of stuff happening in this. He's again reminding them, post-resurrection, what's going to take place in their lives. He's saying up to this point, when you needed something, you asked me for it. Now there's a transition and a change. He, he always met their needs. And so he says, I no longer need to ask the Father for you, you now can go directly to the Father. We, ha we have direct access to God the Father. And we see again in Romans that we have the Holy Spirit who prays with us when we don't know exactly even what to say. He helps intercede on our behalf. Even Jesus Christ intercedes for us. We see that in Hebrew over and over again, how he helps us and he prays with us. And so we pray correctly by praying in Jesus' name and he intercedes for us before the Father we don't pray as if Jesus is absent, right, and not in the game, as if the Father is absent, and we get to pray to the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 14 just for a moment, verse 13 and 14. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask, verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So that, that's, that's an interesting verse, isn't it? Anything you ask for, I want a, a brand new car, they're going to get it. That's, that's not what he's saying at all. His name speaks of his authority, right? His name speaks of, of his work, of, of his plan. Uh, Bible scholar put it this way. This thought doesn't mean that we simply can tack words in Jesus' name, amen, and at the end of our prayers and expect every prayer we're going to ask anytime we need it. That's not what he's saying here. He goes on to say, praying in the name of Jesus is more than merely mentioning his name at the end of our prayers. If we are truly praying in Jesus' name, we will pray only for that which is consistent with the character of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when we pray, we pray in his name, his authority, what, what, his plan. It's not Bob's plan. It's, it's his plan. Ultimately, prayers are to bring glory to him. Thank God he answers prayer, but it's not, about, it's not really about us. It's about who he is and his glory and his greatness in prayer. Amen. Prayer, I would say, is our most powerful resource. And yet so often we, we limit prayer. It, it, think about that, church. That we have direct access to God the Father who spoke this world into existence and you and I can have conversation with a God that has always been. That, I, that just blows my mind. The, the goodness of God and the grace of God and the work of Jesus Christ. And we have these conversations with God. We have contact with God and who he is. In his book, A, a, Praying, a Praying Life, Paul Miller writes... Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect with God. Dependency, he goes on to say, is the heartbeat of prayer. Think about that. The, the dependency is the heartbeat of prayer, that we are more dependent than we realize. We think sometimes we can make it on our own. I'm just going to work, work harder through this. But we're dependent upon him. We have this direct access to God. We don't have to pray to some saint out there on our behalf. We don't have to pray through Mother Mary. We don't have to pray through any priest. You don't have to come to our pastors and pray through us. Let's pray in Bob's name, all right? We pray in the name of Jesus, church family. Amen. Prayer is indispensable. Hebrews 4.16, we can come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That, that well-timed need that God's able to work in our life. That Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That, that word supplication is a word that means specific prayers. And so when we pray, we pray specifically. God bless me, I pray, amen. Ah. I don't know. That, that's not, that's not, that's, we give specifics. Husbands with, with our wives, they, they, they want to hear specifics from us. All right? 
Not just, I love you, that's a good word, I love you, but why do I love you, right? What are the needs that we have when we give them specifically to God and he wants to hear from us? And the text says here, and we experience that peace of God, that when we peace, and Philippians is a, is a great epistle and letter that Paul writes, and he's writing to many Romans who are retired in an area called Philippi, and so he uses this military concepts with them. When you pray, he's going to guard your heart from any further intrusion of worry. When we give those requests to God, he's able to be like a sentinel and to protect us, our heart, the core of our being. I'm telling you right here, man, this, the mind, it, it, it just gets in trouble. We just start thinking out stuff. We're just way out there somewhere, man. Amen. He protects our mind from any further intrusion of worry when we just we go to him in prayer. It's been said, worry about nothing and pray about everything. So prayer is indispensable, sorrow is unavoidable, and I love this, that, that peace is possible. Peace is possible. Listen to Jesus' amazing promise in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things have I said unto you and spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer be of good heart, I have overcome the world. That, that one phrase, that phrase, I have said these things to you. What things have you said, Jesus? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the farewell discourse. It's going back to John chapter 13 and John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, I will come again receiving myself that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we know not where you go. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Steve in John 15 talked about that, he, the, the vine, and we're, we're connected with him, and he gives us what we need. So he's, these things I've spoken unto you, right? He's just re, again, he's going back and reminding them of what I've said to you, that you can have this, this peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. He, he gives us peace. We live now in a time we, we need peace. I'm not saying we, we're not checking out, all right? We, we need that. And peace is a person and his name is Jesus. Peace is more than just the absence of conflict or unrest. The, the word literally means completeness and wholeness. When we have this peace, it's just this wholeness. Right? It's just this oneness. It's this completeness in your life today what are those pressure points what, what is eroding your peace is it somebody is it a person you know a family member a co-worker what is it that's disrupting your peace is it anxiety or problems it may be financial issues or just these decisions out there to make they're just big decisions to make I think about our students, we have a number, of, I think we have 18 or so students graduating this year and some are in the room today and those, just those next steps, what's, what's next? And we can, we're concerned and we can be worried and, and, and we have this gift of peace that God wants to give to us. We think of inflation. 
Uh, we think of gas prices, right? So I mean, they're what now, 359, so we're down a little bit, you know, it's just kind of, kind of crazy. My sister and her husband live in California and they've been paying up to five something and sometimes $6 a gallon. So it's just a weird world we're in. Politically, I don't want, I'm not gonna, it's just like our political world is just crazy, whether you're Republican or Democrat, it's all messed up, man, all right? Our, our hope is not in them, amen, all right? Now we pray for them, we, all those kind of things, we vote when we should vote. Think about what's happening in our school system, just the challenges of teachers and, and, and conversations I've had with, with teachers and, and, and parents and what they're going through, it's just, it's just horrible what's happening in our world. Challenging. We've had, in our, at Antioch, we've had four teachers at Antioch who have just stepped out of, of teaching this last year, right? Just a, just a different world. And sometimes the, the problem, I don't think, is, is so much teachers, as sometimes it's the, the uppers, and sometimes it's just parents, man. Sometimes just parents got to get a clue, right? Now, I'm going to go old school here. Uh, when I was in school and did something wrong, and if a parent, I mean, it hardly ever happened with, with contact. <laughs> Our parents, I got it, all right? My dad didn't go to the school and just jump on the principal. My dad jumped on me, man, all right? Get it, get it together. There's just this thing of authority. We're just, we're missing that church. Our kids. Gender orientation, just blowing people's minds, what's happening out there. It's just that we live in a different world. I'm telling you what, the first century world was even worse than the world that we live in. And the gospel exploded. Christianity went crazy. So, amen, church, we, we stay in the game, all right? By God's grace, we stay in the game. Isaiah 26, 3 you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my mighty right hand. Isaiah 41.10. We just, we just look to God and his strength and who he is and how he can provide peace in our life. I, I, we were at a meeting this uh, Monday down in Spring, a pastor's meeting in Springfield, and it was just, had a road trip together, and we were there and, and heard a, a gentleman talk about peace. And he made this statement with regard to peace. He said this, park your mind on the character of God. When there's unrest and concern, not minimizing it at all trouble and problems, church. Right, not minimizing it all. I love that statement. Where you, the point is, where are you parking your mind when it comes to this peace issue? Park your mind with the character of God. That's a good word. Isaiah says, fix your mind on him. Fixation on him. We can get, become fixed on our problem. And I, I get it, man, I get it. But they fixated on, on God and who he is. Again, not minimizing our problems. There's still problems, but there's still God. Amen, church? There's still, still God. Not only sorrow unavoidable, prayer indispensable, peace is possible. Trouble is inevitable. Trouble is inevitable. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. I said it earlier, all God's children got trouble, all right? All God's children got trouble. 
The world, world here doesn't reflect or define the, the planet that we live on. The word world here references th this system of evil that, that dominates the creation that we live in and dominates humanity. That's, that's what the world is. Not a physical planet. It's the, it's the dynamic of the culture in which we live. That's the world. The word tribulation represents hardship. It, it represents persecution. It, it has the idea of, of difficulty and internal and external pressure. Tribulation. And so Jesus is very clear that trouble is coming. They have no idea. Again, I said earlier, all 11 disciples were martyred. They had no idea that would happen. So he says, I'm telling you, trouble is coming. Church, I'm telling you, trouble is coming. Tribulation is coming. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know and be prepared for trials and troubles and situations that are going to be difficult. He's teaching us that suffering is the normal, ordinary part of life. It's just what life is all about. And there are some in this room, it seems like maybe suffering more than somebody else is suffering. Right now, you may be in a respite, it's good, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, trouble's coming. All right? I'm, not, I'm not a Debbie Downer here, I'm a, I'm a Bible upper, all right? It's just, it's just what's gonna happen, man. So we gotta prepare, he, he said, be prepared, all right? Be prepared, right? be trusting God, look to him for strength, we just don't know. We just don't know. So he wants his disciples to know the heaviness of trials. This is what happens in a fallen world. James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4. I think it's on the screens here. It's just a great passage. Consider it great joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith, the test of your faith, produces endurance or perseverance, and let endurance and perseverance have its perfect and complete work. So he says here in the text, when you encounter, not, not if, but it's not if, it's when, when it's going to come. Right? So we're going to experience that. And what happens on our testing of our faith it does, the, the point is to produce in our life staying power, to, to, to stay in the game and stay faithful. Again, this word joy is not the same as happiness because happiness is dependent upon circumstances. Joy transcends circumstances. We can be joyful in times of adversity because we know that God is up to something. He's using this situation to, to change me, all right? Uh, to, as Peter would write about it, to refine me. Like you put, you know, gold or silver in, in, and put the, you turn the heat up on it, man. And it takes all the impurities out of it. And so when God does that, he has a purpose for that. He's not mad at you, but he's using that to produce in your life that endurance and perseverance. He's changing us. He's transforming us to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, I don't like trouble. No one likes trouble, but God uses it to change us, you will encounter trouble. The point is, is to, to remain, to remain under it, to not say, I gotta I got try to get away. You know, I, sometimes we wanna, we wanna run and God says, no, 
and the idea of this is just to, to re, whatever it is, just remain under it. So we want to try to figure out how to get out of it, have somebody else help me out of it. And God says, Bob, no, you just, whatever it is, you stay in it. That doesn't mean you can't be praying about it, have other people helping you to encourage you, but you just stay under it. We want to run. And God says, remain. We want to escape. And God says, endure. Just endure it. Work through it. God has a purpose for any trouble that comes in your life. God has a purpose to refine you and to change you and to make you stronger in him. And so he uses adversity and hardship in our lives to produce in our life that staying power. By God's grace, you, just, you stay faithful in your marriage as hard as it is. That you stay faithful to your family as, as hard as it is. That you stay faithful in your work environment as difficult as it is. You're going through a situation that's overwhelming. By God's grace, you want to run, you want to escape, get away from it. You're there and let God do his work in that situation and what God is going to do through that situation that you are experiencing. God is there because what happens is when pressure comes, we want to get out of it, man. Get away, get away from it. I mentioned earlier we went to, uh, to Idaho for a funeral. So we, we flew into Salt Lake City. And from Salt Lake City, about a two and a half hour drive up to, uh, to Idaho. You know, I'm, I'm not a flyer, man. I just, so, I'm, so one way is good. We're going to go to Boise. Too. I said, no, let's just go one spot, drive a car, get there. Uh, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white knuckler when I get there. And the, the one word I don't like to hear on an airplane is the word turbulence. It's not my favorite word, all right? So I'm, we're flying to Salt Lake and it's, we're looking, it's nice. And then the captain comes on and says, hey, I just want to give us an update. We're, we're coming into Salt Lake and we're, there's, there's mountains that are there coming. We're going to experience uh, some, some strong winds and some turbulence. And so I'm just, so all of a sudden, man, that plane's rocking and going, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. But God... God uses turbulence, doesn't he? What's happening in your life right now that's, that's turbulent? It's just, man, it's just all messed up. It's just crazy. It doesn't seem possible that God, God uses that. When you, when you fly, you're going to eventually experience it. In life, you're going to eventually experience turbulence. And thank God, as uh, Paul, uh, Peter says, there's, there's seasons of that. It's not just all your life. It's a, there's, there's seasons of turbulence in our life. And Jesus is coming to us like a captain on the plane and saying, in this world, Bob, you are going to experience some turbulence. Keep your seatbelt on, keep focused, persevere, endure, and by God's grace, ride it out, right? Just ride it out. I don't want to go into a lot of detail of it. I've shared my story in detail before, uh, so I don't want to get into all that. But just the middle of 2003 and four, five, six, seven, my life was a, a mess. A lot of it on my part. Uh, just had some things happen in our church family. Uh, just dynamics that took place. Some of you guys were out here then, so thank you for still being in the game, staying faithful. I wanted to quit so, so bad. And I, was, I wasn't, in the, wasn't in the good place at all, at all. 
we'd, we'd built a new house together. It was really neat to build our house. And so we were there for a, a year, I guess. And I said, told you, we got to just, we got to sell it. I just, just got to be ready if we need to run. We got to, I got to get out of here. You know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to have, have a house to hang on to. So we lived in an apartment for a year. And during that time, and God just used people in my life. He used this church in my life. I won't go through all the details that happened here. We had men in our church. Glenn Hicks put together a group of men. I see some of you guys in the room today. Mike, I thank you for being part of that. That just for, for, for an entire year. Roger, I think you were on that list. For an entire year, 12 men took an entire month Every morning on my voicemail, there was a can you, 365 days church family. People praying every day on my phone. And, just God, and God used that. God used that. I'm different. Sorry about that. But, you know, there's, but, I, but God changed me. And I wanted so bad to run. I, I went to Quick Trip a couple of times. I'm the Quick Trip guy. Uh, talked to David there once about, okay, how do you get into, how does this work, man? How do you get, hey, I can get you, I can know people. I, just, I was letting you go to Quick Trip, man. I just, I was, I was all in that, you know? Uh, but God intervened, amen, church? And God is a God who intervenes in your life. So I just want to encourage you. I, I had good counseling. I had prayer. I, my wife is a rock star. Just, just said, you, you know, get in there, stay in there. You got to preach, Sunday. Get in there and preach, and get, you know, get, get going. I mean, so just, so I just want to encourage the church. No matter what you're going through, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a poster child that God is faithful. God is faithful. And thank you, church, for being patient with me. If you're new around Antioch. Thank you, but if you were here then, thank you so much for not even giving up on me, for just staying in the game and the goodness and greatness of God. I got to wrap this up. Sorrow is unavoidable. Prayer is indispensable. Peace is possible. Troubles, inevitable, but courage is doable. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus gives us a promise take heart. The word take heart means be courageous, be bold. It has the idea literally of be of good cheer, be of good cheer. He's saying that in the middle of your trials, trouble and problems, take courage, man, right? Face it, stay there. The word take heart or take courage grammatically is in the imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's in the imperative. It is a command, church. God is commanding me, he's commanding us, Stay in the game, take heart, be of good courage. I came across a verse here recently in Psalm 31, 24. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who put your trust or hope in the Lord. I, I love that. That, that. Be strong, right? Let your heart take courage, all right? Let your heart be courageous. All you who trust in the Lord. So Jesus says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Not overcoming, overcome it, overcome the world. And the, part of the overcoming is his resurrection, all right? That's part of the overcome. Yeah. And, and overcoming means that he's a God who's in control, that he's, he, he's at work, he's, he's doing a work. 
we have this promise given to us, this extraordinary promise of courage. The word overcome means to conquer, to defeat or to prevail. It has the idea in the original, it's that word Nike. It's, it's Nike. It's, you know, strong. It's victory. It's victory. Listen to one God's, of God's extraordinary promises and we begin to wrap this up. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and 37, here's what Paul writes on behalf of us today in this room. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Church family, you are a conqueror, right? Because of who Jesus is in your life. So, so don't give up, all right? Stay in there. Stay faithful. Get help. Have people to come around, whatever it takes, to stay faithful in the game that God has put you in. J.D. Greer, a pastor, puts it this way. Courage believes not only that God is bigger than the opposition, but also better than all the alternatives. All the alternatives. Where in your life do you need courage? in your family dynamic, in your marriage, in your work environment, in your neighborhood, in ministry, right? By God's grace, I love that word, just to be, to be courageous. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that never fades away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith and the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That verse three, we have this living hope. How? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our, our hope is, is, is not a dead hope. We, we have this living hope and nothing can distract us from that. Nothing can derail us from that. He says, I, I'm protecting you in this. You, you have this future in you. You have this hope. Yeah. It's not a horizontal hope. It's a, it's a vertical hope. Hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. It's not so much a cultural hope as it is what I would call a biblical hope in the person of Jesus Christ. No matter what's going in your life right now, what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week or next month, we had this living hope in the resurrection of Christ Jesus, church family. And so be encouraged by this living hope. And this living hope starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ, amen, where there's been that defining moment you said yes to Jesus, recognizing I'm sinful, I, I'm, I'm wayward, but right now I recognize, God, it's only in you that I can have a relationship with God. I recognize my sinfulness and call upon the name of Jesus Christ and he will save you. That's, that's the ultimate hope that we have in the person of Jesus Christ. To have this hope no matter what you're experiencing or going through. And so if you're in this room today and you're going through a challenging season of adversity and trouble and trials... Man, I, let me know. I'd be honored to pray with you and to encourage you. Maybe in your Antioch group or whatever it may be. 
I would say this, I mean, if just the guys want to kind of work it on their own and figure it out, but man, we, we need others. I, I, I had a lot of pride. I just, I don't, I don't need any help, you know, but, but we need each other, church. We, we need help and need that encouragement. I want you to stand with me before we close in prayer and just join together in a public declaration as a church, and then we'll pray together. Here's the declaration, so read it out loud with us together, all right? I am called to courage. My God is with me wherever I go. Jesus is the author of my faith. The Holy Spirit makes me strong. I will be brave. I will not be afraid. I will live. Father God, help us to live courageously. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his work in our hearts and lives. Thank you, Father, for being a Father who is present and you're not absent. Use these moments to encourage us. If there's someone in this room today who's going through a challenging season, God, encourage them. Before I close out the prayer, right in the room, you just went, might raise your hand. I'm not going to put you on the spot, call you out. We say, right, Bob, I'm in a season right now that is challenging. It's difficult. A trial, you could raise your hand and say, that's where I'm at right now today, right? Okay, wow, okay. There's a bunch of you, okay, over here and on my right, back here. Man, whatever it is, God is faithful, church. If I can help you to encourage you, I want to do that. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, right where you stand, you can call upon his name. Say, God, save me, come into my life, change me, I pray. So, Father, help us to live in a way that makes much of your name. We thank you for your faithfulness. And may we live a life courageously driven by the truth of your word and driven by your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.